Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And RJ Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. Eagles or Packers? Titans or Falcons? Patriots or Bills? No matter the matchup, RJ has got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Download RJ Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and PodcastOne.com. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is a continuation of the Division Capsule series that I've been doing in the offseason, which is both an offseason review and a regular season preview. This one is on the Southeast Division with Mike Prada of SB Nation and Fred Katz of The Athletic go through all five teams in plenty of detail, what they did, where things are going, moves that stood out, all those all those fun things. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus and check out the hashtag sportsnet challenge, which is going on still. I'm actually doing very well in it, which is pretty exciting. And this episode runs about an hour 15. Lots of good stuff in here on, of course, these five franchises and hope you enjoy Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, we're we're thrilled to be here to talk. This division is a little more interesting than last year, Danny. That's Just a true. Little bit. Yeah, the the malaise from the the Prada Sharp podcast is has toned down a little bit because we have some some turnover in this division. And I'll I'll start with Fred on this question. It, it's a basic one I like to start these podcasts with, which is of these five teams, who do you think got better and who do you think got worse? So we had the outline up. I've got two teams who got better and two teams who got worse. I think Miami and Atlanta did get better. I think Atlanta is going to be better if only just because of internal development. Trey Young year two. John Collins gets a little better. Got a couple of young guys who I really like, especially DeAndre Hunter. I think that team is going to be better. Um, Who got worse? I think Washington clearly got worse. They lost everybody. They were the what fifth worst defensive efficiency since the NBA started tracking possessions in 1996 last year. And they just let Sadoransky walk and Ariza walk and they replaced them with guys like Ish Smith and whomever else that defense is going to be really difficult to watch. And obviously Charlotte got a lot worse and it, I'm just, you know how Arnovitz and Lowe do that most confusing teams podcast. If I did that, I think Orlando would be my number one ranked in the league. Like I just there are so many things about Orlando where I'm like, I don't get it. They defended well last year and they added some good guy like they added Alfred Camino's nice player. But I don't really know what the, the fit is there. And like that whole team is just weirdly comprised. And I don't know what to think of Bamba. And like, yeah, maybe maybe they'll get better and maybe they'll win 47 games or like maybe they'll totally fall off and they won't defend as well as they did last year. So I, I have no idea. Like, Mike, where do you stand in Orlando? I mean, the, the the real question to me still is, are, were they good last year? I know that's like a strange question to ask, but I'm always skept- I'm often skeptical of those teams that sort of have those second half surges when they're the dog days of the season, and that's exactly what Orlando had. So I like have an even more fundamental question, which was, are they actually any good last year? Um, I'm kind of leaning that they weren't really, and they just sort of had this schedule. I know that they, if you look at their defensive numbers, they didn't allow too many uh, open threes, so or, so it's not like teams shot really well at open threes on them. They were sustainable in that sense, but I'm just not sure that they – I mean, to me, the biggest concern I have is I think we've seen a history of Steve Clifford's teams that 
in year one, it kind of all works. And then it there's no like kind of next step. We saw that with I think multiple editions of those those Hornets teams. They both missed the playoffs the year after they made it. And I think part of that is because he builds these systems around these immobile centers that he gets to work for one year. And I'm just I think the league figures it out the second year. And I'd worry that that's going to happen to them this year. I'm not sure that they can defend as well as they did last year. Not because they don't have tools on the wing, but because teams are going to figure out ways to really go at Nick Vucevic that they didn't last year. That's a good point. Another wrinkle to throw into this mix. I think one of the big reasons the Magic did a lot better in the second half of the year was that they excised two of the worst parts of the rotation. And that's Jerry Grant was awful at the beginning of the year. And they tried a bunch of different things at backup point guard after that. And I I actually thought Isaiah Briscoe was the best by and large of those options, but then he got hurt and they went to Michael Carter Williams and did all that. And then Mo Bamba was terrible last year and he got hurt. So then they brought Ken Birch in. And what's wild is, They didn't really solve either of those problems. They brought MCW back, so presumably he's going to be the backup one, at least at the start of the year. They didn't. What about Fultz? Yeah, well, or Markel Fultz. We'll see what happens. Fultz, that's That's the big question, right? it It is the big question. And then at center, now Bamba's back. So does Bamba get his spot over Ken Birch? How comfortable is Steve Clifford? Let's say Bamba's a lot better, but still worse than Ken Birch, which to me is pretty reasonably likely. Then how much pressure does the front office, Weltman, Hammond, put on the coaching staff to play the developmental guy, to play play Mo Bamba? That's going to be really, really interesting. And maybe those margins will just be a little bit tighter. And then, yeah, the elephant in the room is Markel Fultz. Because if he can give them something better than the terrible backup point guard play they had for at least half but most of last year, then that would be huge. And I think Marco Fultz, I was a bigger believer in non like the value of non-shooting Fultz than most. I think that he can do that if he gets the opportunity. He is still the most interesting player in the league. Can we say that? Is that possible? I mean, I guess. I'm trying to think. I mean, I... I like, I, well, that, like, I mean, Giannis you have guys like Zion and a few others, but I'd be. <laughs> yeah. by, by interesting, I just mean like his story is, we hope, so far from done. Well, right? it's, it's like, the swing, the swings with him are so fascinating. I mean, I had him number one unquestionably in that draft. Like, he, I had him as a clear number one in that draft. And the way that it fell apart was just so bizarre. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to process. What yeah, do you mean? I'm just Sorry. I'm just curious to see if he's going to play like not even how he's going to play just what's going I mean he's he's coming back the first game and like we're going to talk about moves for their for just like the most intriguing move for each team and maybe the most intriguing move is that Marco Fultz is going to play because two years ago we all thought he was going to be awesome and the issue really mostly look when he's been on the floor it's not like he's been a world beater or anything like that but he's shown competency I mean he was throwing up he he was throwing up decent performances and not necessarily for full games. He had the triple double. Everybody freaked out about the end of his rookie year, but he was, he was looking good for small stretches and starting to look competent at the end of that year in his first year in Philly. And he just needs to see the floor. It seems like, and if he can see the floor, Orlando's point guard play, like that can give them a huge jolt because DJ Augustine might not get you into the playoffs. That might not be good enough, but if Markel Fultz can be decent, that totally changes the outlook for this team. I think we might be being a little kind to how he played when he was healthy. I mean, he had moments, 
but I think uh, by and large he was a pretty ineffective player. I found it weird that they hit him all summer and then released this video uh, right at camp. I don't know whose decision was that that was. And then it comes out that he was at the Mamba camp, right? That came out today. Uh, today being uh, Thursday, September twenty-six. I don't know, man. I I got to see it before I really have any thoughts on it. And I. I think at this point, the safe bet is to assume he's not going to be a key contributor before he is going to be a key contributor. And I'm not sure that's I mean, I'm not sure Steve Clipper is going to wait around to sort of let him play through these struggles the same way that I think we would want him to. I I don't know if that's really his style. So I'm actually not counting a whole lot on Fultz. To me, the other interesting question about Orlando is how good is Aaron Gordon actually? And like, I feel like we get asked this question every single year. And now that it's clear that he's going to be a three and not a four, is there another room for him to for him to level up? And if there's not, I mean, like, what what exactly is he even still? I think he he had a pretty good year last year, but I think there's still some room to grow. I just don't know where that growth is going to come from. Well, so Mike, let me let me just follow up with one more Fultz thing. No, I th- <laughs> the, the I get the last the leash- word. No, no chance. No, no one, no one who's talking to me ever gets the last word. That's how. That's okay, how. Well, that, that's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> um, the leash is going to be how interesting. Like that's going to be the most interesting part of this, right? Because Philly puts him in last year, and they decide what. What happened with Philly last year was so weird. Not just from the Fultz angle, but also from the Philly angle, where they they decide right off the bat, Fultz is going to start. The JJ Reddick's going to come off the bench. And they are putting the utmost confidence in Fultz a season after having the best, I believe it was the best high volume lineup in the league a couple of years ago, right? They're starting lineup and they're just going to change it up and put in Fultz because they're all in on him. I mean, that's an all in on him moment. And within whatever it was, a few weeks, Fultz is out of the starting lineup and not playing at all. And like the swing from Philly from so much confidence to no confidence in him and making that making that swing like when a guy is going through the mental side of that that can't help like when the team is sharing the highs and lows along with the player that can't help and in a new environment it's going to be really interesting to see how a new team actually ends up handling him like i don't know what fultz is going to do i have no idea if he's going to be good bad great terrible never play play 70 games. I have no idea. I'm totally confounded by him. And I'm, like I said, very confused by this team, but like the way that Orlando actually decides to, to ride those highs and lows with faults is going to have some sort of effect on the way that faults plays. I don't know what it's going to be. And I don't know what Orlando is going to do, but the fact that it's a different team means it could be handled differently. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think another element to that to kind of kind of tie these different magic threads together. You, I think it was Prater brought up DJ Augustine, and a notable dynamic for the Magic is yeah, they have a lot of young dudes. I mean, Aaron. So I'm, I'm going to use basketball reference ages because I feel like that's fair enough. They have young guys. Isaac, Aaron Gordon's still going to be twenty. This is his age twenty four season, and then a lot of their bench guys are still pretty young. Incidentally, Michael Carter Williams older than people think, age twenty eight now which is pretty wild considering the former rookie of the year. And the but the other part of it is while the Magic don't have a lot of post prime players, they have a lot of guys that are very important to their team who I do not expect to like the, the way that the age curve goes. 
you wouldn't expect them to be better than they were the year before, especially because a lot of them had the best season of their career. So Vooch, 29. Fournier is going to be 27. Augustine, 32. So there's some real downside potential there. Terrence Ross, 28. All of those guys were important parts of the team. Vooch and DJ in particular had really good years. And when a team needs basically, they're just squeezing everything out of everybody, it gets harder. And I think that I believe in their defense, broadly speaking. I think that's there. I'm more concerned about their offense. The Marco Fultz thing plays into that, not really putting a ton of resources in, using the mid level on Alfred Camino, a player that I really like, but a player who doesn't give them any extra elements other than depth is concerning to me. And so. I think their upside is meaningful. You know, I, I think they look like a playoff team, probably not like hosting a playoff series, but I think they look like a playoff team, especially in the East. But what concerns me about the Magic is basically any misstep, whether that's an injury like a 20-game injury or somebody just being worse, whether that's regression to the mean or age, it feels like that's going to have would have a massive effect on their viability. I mean, what it what would have to happen for them to be really serious? I think it would have to be like Gordon and Isaac. Top five defense. I mean, that's really what it would be. Yeah, but when I say serious, like, I mean, someone like that is in pushing mid-40s and beyond. Yeah, I, right? think, it, I think it's top five defense, league average or better, off, like league average or so offense. The other guy right. I forgot to mention is one of the culprits last year was John Simmons. He was so bad for them last year. So right. getting so, him out of the rotation helps. Yeah, so it, it would have to come from Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac, I think, leveling up in a, in a different way. Gordon to someone that is like a legitimate all-star caliber player. Isaac to somebody that's not just a kind of tantalizing player, but a consistent one. But to your point, they signed Aminu who sort of blocks one or two of those things from happening. It's really, to me, that was a sad signing because Aminu can help a lot of teams. He just happened to go to the one that he can't. You know, he could have really helped so many teams. So, <clears throat> But if Gordon and Isaac aren't leveling up, I just don't think that there's – I think to your point, like there's too much downside potential, and I'm just not sure that those two have it in them. So I actually don't think they're going to make the playoffs again. Like I, I would probably pick them as the playoffs at this point. A, a team that we haven't talked about much yet but I think is really interesting is the Hawks. And I think this is similar to what Fred was saying at the beginning in that – I believe on a pure personnel basis, so not in, not including internal improvement, the Hawks are worse than last year. Losing Deadman is rough for them. Losing Kent Bazemore, I think those are their, were their two best defenders last year. And I mean, and it's not like they were a good defensive team. So you, you it's not, you know, it's not like you're neutering a strength or anything like that. But I, I, I mean, replacing Len in the lineup, bringing him in and replacing Deadman is is rough. And they got they got younger. I mean, I expect Hunter and Reddish at bare minimum to be a part of the rotation. We'll see what – and bring in Jabari. Presumably he's going to be a part of the rotation too. But as Fred said, the internal improvement for a team this young, especially when you consider that the freshman to sophomore jump is pretty well established as a, a place that guys improve because they're learning the league and all these other adjustments, particularly for point guards. So – I lean towards the idea that on the especially with all the in like how much better they looked at the end of the season than they did the beginning that the Hawks will be better but I want to caution that that I think in terms of pure talent other than internal improvement I think they're worse. Yeah, I I think I agree with you on that. Uh but I just if you look at the way that Trey Young evolved throughout last year on the offensive end, I'm 
very concerned about what he's going to do on the defensive end. And it's not, it, it goes beyond the rookies are bad at defense type of stuff. Just like he, he hits screens and just doesn't get around them. And with the way that he defends, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. And that concerns me, but just with the way he was offensively last year in the second half of the year. And I know, as Mike said earlier, offensive number, you know, you can have weird statistical runs, you know, in the, the second half of the season, but he just looked like a different player who controlled pace. He's an unbelievable passer with the way that he gets to the middle of the court and creates for others. I'm a big John Collins guy. I really like his game. I think he's going to get a lot better. I think uh, Herter has an opportunity to 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 be a lot more comfortable and and be a really really good shooter who can do a little bit more than shooting for them. And DeAndre Hunter just makes so much sense for them. I think he's going to be good right off the bat, and and I think he's going to defend. Like I could see him being one of the rare rookies who comes out and actually defends at a at a really respectable level. There aren't that many guys. He just covers so much ground. You know, we talk so much about switching and the value of switching on defense. And sometimes we get away from the fact that like, man, being able to just cover the weak side competently and be able to stop a ball handler from getting to the rim while also getting back out onto a shooter. That is an unbelievably valuable trait in a guy with size. And the fact that he looks like he's going to be able to do that kind of stuff is is going to be it would be so helpful for any NBA team and I think will be very helpful helpful for them those are also skills that are tough to do in year one even for the best defensive rookies though right I mean that's a fair way to put it uh, can he do that in year one I, I don't know I maybe I think that's asking a hell of a lot from him um, I think we might see some second syndrome sort of not a drop, but I think something with Trey Young, because I think what actually happened at the end of that season last year is that they started to figure out sort of a bread and butter style of play with the double drag screen at the top of the key with Collins rolling and Deb and popping and all the spacing around him. And it sort of put Young in a good groove. Now that teams have had a summer to figure that out. I think it might take a little bit of time for Young to then take the next step forward. So I wouldn't be surprised if he struggles a bit to start the year. And I think if he struggles a bit to start the year, I kind of agree that that we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, not us, but just the general public on the Hawks. With John Collins, like what is, I think he's really good. How I struggle to figure out exactly what he is. And I, I do wonder if the, um, the loss of Deadman will hurt because – I'm not sure that Collins is really a five. He's kind of a four and a half, a really good, terrific rolling, great floor game, really good offensive four and a half. But I kind of wonder whether he's going to lean more towards the five side of it or the four side. Uh, And if it's the former, I don't know if he's a good enough defender to make that happen. So I'm really curious to watch him this year. I think it's going to be a really interesting year for him. He he and Hunter are going to be very interesting to be matched next to each other. Like I'm, I'm going to be watching those minutes when those two, when those two are next to each other as the two bigs, because ideally if you're the Hawks, like I think the Hawks hope that Collins is a five, but like Mike, you're right. Like, I, I don't know if anybody's a hundred percent sure. And I think they hope that he's a five and ideally those two guys are next to each other. But if it turns out that he is just not viably going to play that position for the majority of his minutes, then Atlanta has like questions about their futures with those two guys, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they, Devin was a security blanket, and they lost they lost him. I think you know he got a lot of money, 
but I'm not sure that was a great decision. I mean, I think they could have paid you, that. I guess you would have paid Alex that to come back. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Like Sacramento a, notoriously overpaid him. And they did pay him a lot of money. I just I sometimes wonder if their teams at this stage of where I think they should be at the rebuild. I, I sometimes wonder if they do underrate those sort of mid tier level contract players that help lubricate something for one of your core players. Now on the flip side, you could just say, and I mean, maybe this is what the logic was, is that look, if we're going to know if Collins is a five, we may as well really find out for real uh, sooner rather than later. I do want, it's a really tough balance, I think. Um, But as of now, I mean, if he's not a five, I don't think I, I like, if you play him with Alex Len, does Alex Len help make John Collins better no. now and in the future? I think that's a real question. Um, and one thing you could say about Devin for whatever his price was, I think the the style of play he had, I think, did help Collins get better incrementally. Maybe it was one of those things where he needs to show off much more of his game and sort of sink or swim. But that's the challenge I see. And. I can I get the merit for the Hawks of wanting to figure all these things out before the summer where they're going to have an ungodly amount of space. I mean, they're the only team with theoretically double max space. Not that there are any players to use that on, but to have that thing. kind of flex that kind of <laughs> flexibility, they could go in so many different directions. They could be the top bidder for basically any free agent if any of them want to take their money or they could trade for players. There are going to be a lot of contracts that could theoretically be on the market for various reasons. And I think that Deadman was a great security blanket because if John Collins isn't a five, Deadman is about as good of a five as you can fit next to him who isn't, you know, of anything near star caliber, star price because he can shoot threes and he's a capable defender. Those types of players are very rare and that was useful for them. But it's fair to say that the Hawks are thinking a little bit differently and Deadman wasn't going to age into being the right, right with their core. So maybe having that security blanket, it actually gets a little bit suffocating because you can't then go to other things. One other part with the Hawks that I definitely want to mention right now is I really like the job that Lloyd Pierce did as a, as a first year head coach. Prada talked about the stylistic stuff with the double drag screens. I, I noticed the Hawks doing more offensively, especially, and they had an unusual, I mean, they have a lot of offensively talented guys, but I thought they did a lot that looked really good. I thought they were playing hard. And so that gives me more confidence in them is that when I think a coach has a good head on his shoulders, it's the same thing I said about Kenny Atkinson a few years ago, and it took them a while to get the personnel close enough to write to make that matter enough. But I think that Pierce is in the right kind of place for that. Not a guarantee, but a good early sign. Do you think they get Wizards Jabari or Bulls Jabari? Because if they get Wizards Jabari, that's like a helpful a wizard, Wizards Jabari. If he really doesn't care about playing 16 minutes a game, which he very well might. I know that there were people with the Wizards who were worried. Well, if we bring him back and he comes off the bench, he might not be so pleased. But if they get Wizards Jabari and he really doesn't care, I mean, he can he he was roasting second units last year offensively. And you all know how I feel about Jabari. So I mean, I'm not a Jabari guy. <laughs> Um, I, I think even they get Wizards Jabari is that really a good thing? I know, I know he produced pretty well. well but there like, is, you know there what I'm is saying. one reason Wizards Jabari could be a good thing, and it's the strangest decision. There are two that I want to talk about with the Hawks that Schlank made was not really going after many guys that are dynamic with the ball in their hands this offseason. They acquired Evan Turner for Baysmore, which it seems like at least partially was to do right by Bays to put him somewhere competitive and all that. And I'm, I'm really happy to see Baysmore on the Blazers. That's going to be fun. But 
they didn't put any resources into a real backup point guard. So presumably Turner's going to get those minutes. I don't know what the hell happens if Trey Young gets hurt or in foul trouble or something else. And so I think they're actually going to need Jabari Parker to do stuff with the ball in his hands when Trey Young is off the floor. And that's exciting as a kind of a basketball nerd, but it's also really perilous. Man, you guys enjoy that. I'm just very happy he's not <laughs> on the team ever for anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, that, that is a legitimate concern. It's some, to some degree, I, I often wonder if like they're taking this next Golden State thing a little too far. But you know, that's more of an existential question than a sort of than a tactical one. The other, and this can be kind of a transition to the move section. But this is one thing I wanted to make sure that we got through. And Kat's already talked about the fit of DeAndre Hunter, and I think that the theory of him on this team is pretty sound. You know, wings that can defend wings. And even if it's just a low usage but capable offensive player, are incredibly valuable. And there, there's a, plenty of evidence that predicting three and D wings is a challenge. But if they have more confidence in the defensive end, then it becomes less risky. But that trade on draft night is absolutely fascinating. So what it was to, to recap it: the Hawks moved up to number four. And there were some second-round picks I'm not going to talk about. But the big money pieces of this was number four for number eight number 17, number 35, and taking on Solomon Hill, which is huge negative value contract. They ended up moving it subsequently to the Grizzlies in the Chandler Parsons trade. That is a lot to give up. Basically, that's just a giant bet on DeAndre Hunter. And it might end up being right, but I think we need to appreciate how big a bet that is because, I mean, we already know 8, 7, and 35, they all look pretty good for the Pels. Yeah. Well, it's a big bet. Um it does not fit the like sort of classic. Let's you got to have a lot of eggs in the basket. So, but if the underhander is really good, it won't matter. Um, the only problem is that the the guy that, that the Pelicans picked at seventeen would fit really in real well with uh, with the team right now, then <laughs> Alexander Walker. But yeah, no, I mean y- y- you're right. That's that's what it comes down to. If this team gets good. You know how every good general manager kind of has his own uh, kind of little mystic narrative that that the cult followers will will follow them around with. Travis Schlanks is going to be that he did not give a crap about reaction on any of these trades because like, yeah, that's a lot to give up for DeAndre Hunter. But if DeAndre Hunter is really good, it's going to look good. And the same thing happened with the Trey Young Luca deal. Right. So, I mean, it's going to. That's what's going to follow around Travis Schlank. It's like all these risky draft night trades where if the guy is good, then then you're great. You're fine. I would argue it already follows him, even though they haven't done anything. It follows him with the real nerds, but but only the real nerds can talk to you about Travis Schlank. Like I'm talking, uh, you know, the the Maury Ainge levels, those guys. Mm. We they have, all have their own identities. Yeah, they do. We've been talking for a half an hour, and we have not even mentioned the Charlotte Hornets yet, really. <laughs> I realized that Fred didn't even, like, yeah, they got they got worse. We all know that. That's not a big surprise. But the move that's worth talking about here is Terry Rozier. I think it's going to be hilarious. I think this is going to be really funny. Yeah, and so, I mean, Rozier got, I mean, good for him, first of all, first and foremost, to get just an absolute ton of money from... I mean, it was a weird market. It sounds like the Suns would have been really interested had he, you know, gotten a little bit more open, but they took advantage, the Hornets took advantage of what was happening with Kemba to give 
Terry Rozier, three years and $57 million. That is a lot of money for Terry Rozier. You know, you know, a contract doesn't bode well for a team when a when a cap guy says "good for him" as the first reaction. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I mean, just think about this story. Right? He spends going back. Uh, I guess it's like fourteen months, right? He's just been in the Eastern Conference Finals and has been able to shoot a whole lot of times. He gets this sort of big head about himself. He spends the entire year not so subtly saying that he could not adjust to this new role, and he was really upset. He basically trashes the team on the way out in that first take interview to the degree that I think, I mean, I don't know if he trashed them, but, you know, to the degree that, like, more so than most people does. And now he's going to a team where who else is going to shoot the ball? I mean, this could be, I think this could be an all-time volume scorer, like 21-point on 52-true-shooting, sad all-star push type of season right here i think we're setting up for that we're gonna get there's gonna be some fringe terry rosier all-star talk despite him shooting 41 percent from the field because who else is gonna shoot the ball on that team it, it could be an epic run like that i mean mike i i say this honestly not sarcastically at all you think he's gonna shoot as high as 41 percent from the field <laughs> you realize he's never shot 40 i know <laughs> His his career true shooting I, I'm looking at right now is 49, percent and he he's always been a a nice you know a guy who's not afraid of shooting the ball, but he's never actually been at least statistically he's never been a high usage guy. He's he's been high usage during certain bench lineups that he goes out with, and then he has to learn how to how to share. That's kind of what he had the problem with last year, right? After being the man during that playoff run and. What's his usage going to be this year? Like, I don't think it's going to be 30. Oh, I think it will be 20. You think it's going to be 30? I mean, now he doesn't have to share anymore. That's the beauty of it. I know. I mean, I think it's going to be like (laughs) high 20s. I I assume they're just going to force the ball into into other guys, like other guys' hands because uh, Batum. Like, you just, just, do you want Terry Rozier taking 32% of the shots when you're out there? No, you don't. But do you ever, do you want to like pay him $58 million after losing Kemba Walker when you, to to win twenty seven games? No, but that's what they're doing. This this conversation is depressing me. If he has a thirty two percent, if he has a thirty two, like what do you you're thinking like thirty two to thirty four? No, I, I maybe I'm being a little over the top. But really it would high. not that's stun it. me if like he, if he hit the, the thirty league. mark. If he hit the thirty mark. Okay, so let's say he's thirty. What what is his effective field goal percentage if he has a thirty percent usage? It's going to be wildly low. Like there is an inverse relationship between efficiency and usage. And generally. he is really yeah. generally, generally, and generally. he is, but he, he is already going to have defenses swarming him. I mean, he's going to be seeing traps on ball screens and like, well, and what's so crazy is he's going to be seeing those traps on ball screens, not because he's super good, but because teams are just going to say, well, what else he's going to shoot gonna it do? anyway? Well, yeah. Also because he's going to shoot it anyway. He's just still going to be shooting through, oh, trying to dribble through and shoot over those double teams, right? Like he's still yeah, going to be you're doing You're telling it. me he's not going to get to 30? Is the dream? 30's just really high. Like if, <laughs> so you, I, I, really I, high. I think well, if I had to predict it, I'm going to say 29. And even that yeah, feels I was really high. But, but I mean, it's possible. I'm not going to write it off. And Charlotte is in this super weird place where I, it's their parallels a little bit here with Cleveland where – but Charlotte's more pronounced, where they have a lot of players that I think could be useful on other teams, but they just make too much damn money to be there. So Marvin Williams, $15 million. Cody Zeller, 
about 15 million. MKG, 13. You know, like all those guys, Batum was probably the quintessential of this at 20, 25, 6. All those guys, yeah, if they were the, you know, fourth or fifth banana on a team that had their offensive and defensive identity handled by other guys, they could be productive, useful players. I am very concerned that a large amount of competence, while it can help teams like the Hawks, as we talked about earlier, that it's just, it, they don't do enough to move the needle for a team like the Hornets. And it would take a more volatile player, like maybe Malik Monk, really stepping up to make those other players slot in well. It was a criticism I had of the Magic a couple of years ago. And then Vooch got a lot better. Augustine had the best year of his career, and they sorted it out. So it's possible that Charlotte does that a little bit. And it's also possible that their just core competence is high enough that they end up beating some teams just, you know, like a home game where the other team's on it back-to-back and Charlotte has a good first quarter and just kind of holds on. I could see them winning more games than people expect that way, but it's not going to be inspiring. I have a a bet with our mutual friend Mike Pina that they will win more games than the Knicks because of basically what you just said. Oh, I think they'll win more games than the Knicks. They are gunning for 30 and 52. They also and they have, are going to go out and try to get 30 wins. I also and think it's that going to be sad. Charlotte has better – I mean, the, the Knicks certainly have a lot of bucket getters, and there's a value to that on bad teams. But I think Charlotte has better defensive tools, and then offensively neither team is going to be good. So I don't think the differences matter as much. So – yeah, I, I think Charlotte will end up with a better record than the Knicks. I, actually, I believe I actually, in the, the Real Jam Radio version of Over-Unders, I believe I picked Charlotte's under, or over, sorry, and felt pretty good about it, I'm, but I'm, that's off the, off the cuff. And also, Charlotte, I think one of the ways that they kind of benefit is, from in terms of like an Over-Under or something like that, is I talked about how their veterans are all paid a lot of money. That makes it harder for them to just sell away everybody else, as opposed mm-hmm. to some of these other teams. So maybe they just kind of keep it together. Borrego and Kupchak and all these pieces are just like, yeah, it's fine. You know, like, especially after the lottery that we just saw, oh, what's the big difference between having the fourth worst record and the seventh worst record? And maybe they care about that less than some other teams that are a little bit more brazen, like let's say the Memphis Grizzlies, if they're in that range because of the prospect of them keeping their own pick. Yeah, they're going to be very mediocre. And, I mean, this is the same organization that didn't trade Kemba Walker and had the most half-baked ridiculous explanation as to why so of course they're they're not going to trade these guys i don't know why we would expect them to um there's a lot of hornets talk what do we think about miami i think yeah, miami we, would be on my confusing my confusing team list actually probably ahead of orlando that, that's something i want to talk about a way of distilling the big moves that they made this offseason is that they basically traded josh richardson and hassan whiteside for jimmy butler that's a really interesting trade yeah, it is. And I'm a I'm a really big Josh Richardson guy. Um he obviously is a very good two-way player. Uh Whiteside just man, it was just they were so so excited to get rid of him and they've been trying for so long. And just from a culture perspective, I feel like that's got to be good for them. Just like it was so contentious between him and that organization for such a long time. I feel like that's got to be good for them. Like that's got to be good for Adebayo's development, right? And I know we're bringing in Jimmy Butler. There <laughs> there have been some culture issues there too, and maybe that you know, will end up backfiring from that front. But like white side clearing out, has that's just got to be addition by subtraction, at least from the way that they – that they talk about him and and I like 
I like Richardson and he kind of fell off offensively in the, in the second half of the year. And I didn't think he was quite as good defensively last year as he was, uh, the year before in part because they just played a lot of zones, which I think neutralizes some of the skills that make him as good as he is defensively. Uh, but, but Butler is, I mean, he's going to make sense there and he's going to be able to be the dog there. And I kind of do like the personality fit between him and the way that that organization likes to operate. I think they're better. Like, I don't think they're a great team or anything like that. I think they're a low playoff seed in the East, but I, I think they're, they're better and something in the, the 40 something win range. Yeah, I think I like them. I mean, uh, but a lot of it depends on two factors. I think one is how good exactly is Bam Adebayo because now he's got his chance and they speak very highly of him and he seems very exciting and they do have a lot of stretchy bigs that they can play with him that will negate some of his faults. If he can be, you know, a really quality option, I think that pushes him up. And then the other one is Justice Winslow who had a very interesting year last year, shifting a lot into point guard. Now Butler is there, uh, and I just wonder how that's going to work. I think that also could be really interesting, especially when you consider that as of right now, it looks like Deion Waiters and Goran Dragic are going to be healthy. So it's a, it's a really fascinating team, and I, I think they might be a lot better, um, but I just – I just having a hard time sussing out exactly who's going to play and how what roles are going to fit into. Yeah, Mike, yeah, I think true. the oh, sorry, Danny. Go good. No, I think I think with Winslow, the really interesting thing is going to be, and you like kind of mentioned this, but the really interesting thing he was when they handed the ball over to him last year and said go do stuff, like he got it. It all clicked for him last year. He was he was really really good last year. He he got a lot better, and and people kind of just gloss over it because he's been around for a little while. He's only 23 years old and he's become a good passer. His shot has legitimately improved from where it was at a couple of years ago. He's a good handler. He's got a very high IQ. Uh, he's one of the rare, rare people in the league who can play the one on offense and then guard bigs on defense. I mean, there are very, very few people who can do that. That's an unbelievably value versatility versatility that just very few people are able to do. And I'm like, if you put him next to Dragic, Dragic is not a Pat Beverly point guard. He wants to dribble the air out of the ball and either Winslow or Dragic is going to have to change. And based on the fact that Dragic is the point guard and the veteran and, and just the natural roles that those two take, Winslow is going to have to adjust to how he played last year, and he's he could get better because he's young and he could just have natural improvement there, or he might not be as good because he's playing a, in a different role, and he might have just been a lot better last year because of the role that he was playing. So like, following his development this year is going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be huge for them because he could be one of their three best players, or he could be worse than he was last year, and I think those are both equally likely things to happen. One way to solve the Winslow part of it is just to make sure that he's out there more often when one or both of Dragic and Jimmy Butler are out. And I think one of the huge ways that Butler's going to really help Miami is last year, the Heat actually had the fourth strongest clutch defensive rating. Like they were, they were stopping teams really well in those circumstances. They have great defensive personnel. They know how to ramp it up. They they have different personnel groups. And especially if some of those guys are even healthier this year, there's a lot that could be done there. But the reason Miami was negative five net rating in those circumstances, and that helps lead to them being three games under 500 in those, is they couldn't score. They had a 99-7 offensive rating in clutch situations. That was the fourth. That was 
Sorry, 94-7. 94-7. That was the worst That's offensive, really rating, bad. offensive rating in the entire league in clutch situations. They did have rough personnel with Waiters and Dragic missing so much time. And something the Sixers are going to miss and the, the Heat will gain is Jimmy Butler, even if it's not the best shot, he can get his in those moments. He can, he can take it, and I think that will be a huge benefit for them without taking away their defensive identity. So if they're a little bit better in those circumstances, Miami has the defense to be in a lot of close games. You know, there are parallel teams all over NBA history of, you know, teams that can scrap out these these wins, can be in a lot of close games, and I think that's going to help them a lot. Also, having a healthier Dragic, I am still a Goran Dragic believer, have been for a long time, and so having a third guy, you know, win, Butler, Dragic, Winslow, who can handle it, considering, I mean, it might be Kendrick Nunn that's their backup point guard, they need all of those guys to do well. And they and what I like about Miami, and I've liked this about them for a few years, but this is probably going to be the most pronounced one, is they just have a lot of guys that can play. And I trust that Spo will be able to figure out the lineup combinations that make sense. You know, when, when to use somebody like Derek Jones Jr., when to use Dion Waiters, Kelly Olynyk. There are a lot of different pieces, and it's going to be more variable now that they don't have to play us on Whiteside. You know, they can go small ball at the five a lot more. And I didn't, we didn't even mention James Johnson, who I think we all kind of like. And it's a complicated ecosystem to get right. A lot of those guys are going to be frustrated because they're not, if they're healthy, they're not going to be getting enough playing time because there just aren't enough minutes. But I think it's going to work. I, I just I just like a lot of those guys. I like Spo. I like the way they play. It just feels to me like I'm not saying it's going to work out like they're going to win a playoff series, but I I, I just feel a little bit more confident in it than I, maybe I would otherwise if I was being more quote unquote objective. Spo is going to love coaching this team. They are going to do some wacky stuff this year. I think if you're looking for like where the for the, the next defensive innovation uh, to counter what's going on in the league is coming from I'm looking at Miami to do some weird stuff and I, I don't know exactly what that's going to be but I think I think it can, it's going to be a, I think that's where it's going to come from to your point Plenty more to talk about with Mike and Fred, but first message from betonline.ag. The hashtag Sportsnet Challenge is still going strong as the NFL gets into week four, and I'm still doing well. I am tied for second in all of the podcasters in the Sportsnet Challenge, two behind first place. Would love to get there, but we'll we'll have to see, obviously. And for a non-football person, pretty... pretty jazzed about that so you can keep track there my lock for the week is chargers over dolphins i'll probably just pick whoever's playing the dolphins as much as i can for that at least for the time being but you can also and you should check out betonline.ag for yourself if you're new to it great time to do it you can use the podcast one promo code for a 50 percent sign up bonus which is fantastic and this is a great weekend for it as usual strong nfl slate And lots of college football. Actually, I like the college football slate a lot. UVA playing Notre Dame, SC, Washington, Mississippi State, Auburn. All those will be interesting. And whether it's a game that you're going to be watching anyway and you want to make it more interesting or something where you think you have an instinct on where where it's going to shake out, betonline.ag is a great way to get into it. They also have some really cool options for in-game wagering, so you can check that out as well. But no matter how you want to do it, use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus also tells them it came from us, which is always great. And check it out, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. We've kind of gone a little bit scattershot through this, which is great. I'm totally fine not holding the outline. But as we're kind of moving through moves, are there any other ones that you want to discuss? I have one more that I want to talk about. Uh, 
we we kind of mentioned it before, but I have one written down just just like as a move that stood out. Getting back to Orlando, Orlando has Vucevic, Isaac, Bamba, Gordon, and Ken Birch. and all of those guys ideally are fours or fives. And then they signed Alfarukaminu, and I just thought that was one of the weirdest signings in the whole league in July. Uh, in terms of fit, in terms of allocation of resources, both financial resources and resources of talent. I just thought it was a really weird fit from a basketball perspective, from a blocking your young guys perspective. Are they going to play Gordon at the three? What are they going to do? That was just a really strange signing. I don't even want to call it a bad signing because it was so weird that I don't even really know what to make of it, but it just, it was just kind of a nonsensical one. And I really like Amino as a player. He's a very good player. He could help a ton of teams. It was just a really, he just seemed superfluous on that roster. And I was so surprised they went that route with those resources. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, that was definitely both on brand for Weltman and Hammond, but also just weird because there are so many other things that even though the Magic had a very successful season by their standards, it's not like it was a blemish-free season. And you think about I, I talked about the holes that they had at the, the one and the five for moments last year, though they figured out the five with Ken Birch, to go with Aminu, who just is more of the same rather than something different. Is there are other guys out there with long arms. Danny. There are. They can get other guys. Like there are, there but I mean, are but they have collections. Teams. Like they have two highly touted former Sixers point guards, and now they have, <laughs> and they have this army of long arm guys they can't really shoot. So. Two highly touted former Sixers point guards with long arms, also with long arms. Yeah, the uh, the other move that I want to talk about was, I mean, Fred and I talked a fair, a fair amount about Davis Bertans on on Wizards After Dark. You can listen to that. But I want to talk about the decision to sign Ish Smith and let Sadoransky go. Both of you guys are connected with the Wizards in different ways, Preda, as an analyst, but also as a fan, and Katz as, as more of as more of you know like a, a beat writer analyst. How do you guys feel about just that part of it? Just Sado for Ish Smith? Well, the weirdest part of letting Sado walk to me wasn't necessarily the difference between Sadoransky and Ish Smith. It was that you could have or they could have used bird rights to bring back Sadoransky. And in bringing, using your bird rights to bring back Sadoransky, you can then reallocate the mid-level exception and use it for something else. You can bring in a small forward, which they don't really have, or something else to help you. And because they let Sadoransky walk, they then had to use the mid-level exception or a portion of it to sign Ish Smith, which then takes away one of your tools. And they started the offseason over the cap. They were both over the cap, and they had very few players because of the John Wall money and the and the Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal's contract as well, and the Mahimi money. It just pushes them over the cap, and they had very few players. So they had a lot of holes to sign. They could have, or a lot of holes to fill. They could have used that mid level exception for something else. Now I I know they didn't want to pay Sadoransky ten million dollars in the twenty 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 one season when they assume uh, John Wall will be back and Sadoransky will be a backup point guard, but. That was basically his market value. If Sadoransky comes out and doesn't kill it this year, just plays the way that the average Sadoransky person would expect him to play, then he's tradable on that deal. And the the five million in that in that third year is is non guaranteed too. He's tradable on that deal. So I I wasn't in love with it. 
uh, Ish Smith is a fine backup point guard. Uh, I think he's he's you know at the at very near the bottom of the league among starting point guards, which is going to be very interesting to follow. Uh, the change in identity with the team is weird too. Sadoransky was one of their best defenders and a great off ball guy, and Ish Smith uh, obviously is is not that. Is also a very a very small point guard, as is Isaiah Thomas. They went from some of the biggest point guards in the league to some of the smallest, which really changes their team identity. It's just. It was I, I, I thought they had a, a pretty uh, savvy summer, quite honestly, even though they did get worse in terms of the moves they made because they were very hamstrung. But that was the one that that confused me a little bit. Yeah, it was bad. I, I, they, they haven't valued Sadoransky his entire tenure. They haven't cultivated his skills. They It's a natural culmination of that process where they say, oh, 10 million a year for backup point guard is too much in 2020, 2021. I just think it was a mistake, and I, I think they will come back to bite them. But I'm also the number, the world's number one Sadoransky fan. They so. they they insist this isn't the case, but my my personal this is not me reporting anything. My personal belief is that I mean Sad, Sadoransky wanted to sign with the Bulls. It wasn't like Sadoransky wanted to resign with Washington, and they said go away. Sadoransky wanted to sign with the Bulls. My personal belief was Sadoransky not wanting to be there played a factor in them saying, and they did something along the lines of saying, you know what, we don't want some, not in a contentious way, but we don't want somebody who doesn't want to be here. If a guy doesn't want to be here, we'll let him go. We won't hold him to his restrictedness, and uh, and, and we'll let him go and, and just work out a sign-in trade. Yeah, the self fulfilling that is a self fulfilling prophecy if I've ever heard one. Yes, and it I is. Agree. Yeah, it is a self fulfilling prophecy. Under, and- undervalue a guy enough that his eye starts to wander, and then you say, "Well, he's wandering. He has a wandering eye, so we might as well let him go." Yes, but you know what? I don't think it was Tommy Shepard who undervalued him. I think it was the coaching staff. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think it's an organizational. These things, when something like that happens and you get to that point, it's never the fault of just what happens at the moment that they leave. It's always there's always a build up. So I'm, I'm trying to be careful not to say that like that move was bad. I think they just the whole the whole way they've treated him for the last few years right. has has led to this moment. Signing Ty Lawson, I mean, is the perfect the the perfect microcosm of it, right? They John Wall gets hurt, misses half the season. Sadoransky plays very well in his place. Wall comes back right at the end of the year. Sadoransky goes back to being the backup point guard. And then as soon as the playoffs start in 2018, they sign Ty Lawson, who literally did not play one second for them in the regular season. And he's the backup point guard over Sadoransky. I mean, they played him over Sadoransky. They were playing Chase and Randall at backup point guard over Sadoransky for parts of last year. It was just there, like there's a long list it, and yeah. I have to try to find I'm trying to find it but there's a long list. It's in a story. Little guard of little guards they have played over Ty Lawson. I mean, do you remember Brandon Jennings in in Lawson's in uh, Sato's rookie year? He was on yep. there. There's Ramon Sessions for a little bit of time. You mentioned Jason Randall, Ty Lawson, uh I mean all the way going back to Trey Burke. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really sad. Like, I, there was a whole list I tweeted out like back in April that I can't find the tweet. But like, I, I, I'm, that's, sorry that's I tri- I'm sorry, I'm sorry I triggered you, Prada. I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean to do that. Oh, it's okay. I mean, the, there's nothing else really to talk about with the Wizards, honestly. That, that's Tim Frazier too, right? Is oh, Tim yeah. Frazier on that list? Was was who was wait who's on that list? Sorry, wasn't t- Tim Frazier was one of those guys also, Tim right? Frazier, yes, he was on that list too. Oh my. Yeah. It's really long. Yeah. The list is very long. Oh, here we go. I found it. Uh, Trey Burke, 
Brandon Jennings, Tim Frazier, Ramon Sessions, Ty Lawson, Jason Randall, Ish Smith, Isaiah Thomas. Wow. Well, they, those, they have a type. They do. <laughs> they definitely, saying. definitely do. Let, so we'll do this one quickly. Uh, best newcomer to his team is Jimmy Butler. Does anybody else have anybody that not, not is better than Jimmy, but anybody else we should talk about as like best newcomer? Uh, no, not really. Can't think no. of anyone. There aren't that many. Like yeah. I was looking I through mean, Rozier, it before. Rozier is probably going to be the second most productive. Yeah. I mean, do we count rookies? Like if DeAndre Hunter is really good, maybe it's DeAndre Hunter. But I mean, that's it's kind of underwhelming. I think we can count Marco Fultz as a newcomer, but I also don't think he fits. You know, he's, he doesn't get nomination. And what was the name of the rookie? The uh, the Magic like just randomly, very sketchily like bumped Chum- the rookie. Chumo Keke. Yeah, that's. Yeah. yeah, that was. You agree that that was like kind of sketch, right? Yeah, especially doing so with as high of a pick as they did it with. You know, like if it's the thirtieth or you know whatever in the first round, then that's 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 its own thing. But it's Josh Eustace, uh, Fred's yeah, friend. Yeah, they they picked they, <laughs> Chuma was picked sixteenth. Like there were good players on the board, and they took a guy who not only is hurt but was willing to. So I, you know, in these circumstances, like with Fred's buddy Josh, I'm willing to worst enemy. I fine. I'm That's willing to as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I'm willing to give them time, you know, like 2-3 years to really to really assess it because especially when the player is hurt, then it, it might not necessarily be as financial and and there were people I respected who really liked OKK's game. It was just that he was hurt and you know, ACL and everything else. So, maybe it's that sort of a circumstance. But yeah, it definitely felt weird to me. And then you have all the weird stuff where they had to like stretch Mozgov to get under the luxury tax, and uh, it was just weird. I'm surprised the union hasn't raised a stink about that. The the uh, what's his name again? I can't pronounce his name. Chuki Chumo. Whatever. I'm saying it. Okay. I'm saying it. Okay. 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 Yes. I, I I know how to write it. I don't know how to say it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then now he's not that... going to play for a year, so we it was probably going to be another year where when we mention it, we'll say it incorrectly. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm surprised the union hasn't raised a stink about that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they have more context that we don't have, which is a possibility. Uh, last question in the offseason preview part of it, or offseason review, is. The rookie you are most excited to see, I, I'm guessing we have a number one here, but there are a couple other guys I want to mention briefly. And remember, this is not who you think is going to be best. It's just who you're most excited to see. Well, I'm excited to see Hachimura just because yeah. I'd like to know what he is. But, yeah, I think Hunter is probably the one that's most pivotal. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Hachimura purely because he is going to make my job a lot better this year. Because <laughs> otherwise I don't have that many stories to follow. And – He's he's super interesting. I uh, he's really raw. Anybody who didn't start playing basketball till they were a teenager and then made it to the NBA is a fascinating rookie. I think that's like a good umbrella rule. Yeah. So I, I I'm the most excited to see Hachimura. The other guy I wanted to mention, Hachimura was obviously one, was the Hawks had another pick in the top ten. Even with the one that they traded and you know, moving up to four. I'm really interested in Reddish. Uh, the film on him was mixed in a way that could actually be very intriguing moving forward. There were some defensive tools there, and Reddish, from the people I know that had seen him more at the lower levels, where he had the ball in his hands frequently and wasn't nuked by Duke's horrendous spacing, that he had more he had more dynamism to his game than he showed as a Blue Devil. I'm excited to see it. I think Reddish could end up being a wonderful fit there, and it's while he might end up playing with Hunter, it's also kind of a 
another option there. Like if one of those two guys doesn't work, maybe the other one will. And then you've solved one position in the front court and maybe John Collins is another one. And then you figure out whether you have a four and a five or a three and a four. But either way, you have two good players. That's a distinct possibility. And maybe you have three. And then the Hawks are in a really, really good place. So I'm excited about Reddish. And I think my general rule with rookies, and this is going to be true with Hunter as well, is it's about flashes, not about the overall body of work. Because it's just such a weird adjustment that these guys have to make really wherever they're coming from. And Hachimura is going to be a more interesting one because of his path. But... And because the Wizards are just not going to be good. But I think that in Reddish's case, I, I'm going to try to, you know, when I watch film on him, just try to see those little things. Like, can he show some verve with the ball in his hands? How does his jump shot look? Can he get to the free throw line? Is he, like, intriguing as a steals guy or something like that? But I, I liked a fair amount of what I saw from him, and the Hawks are going to have an opportunity for him to succeed. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> Sorry, you, you can move on to the next thing. No, I, I think you said it all. Incredible radio. Yes. Unbelievable radio. Well, it'll, I, maybe I should try not to edit out the silence because the silence made that better. Or it's just like this pause. <laughs> then then, 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 then Prater yeah. just saying, I'm nothing. It was great. But, Sorry. Was, no, it was honestly, great. No, I, I loved it. Um, I was reading something that the New York, Mag, New York Mag just put up about apropos nothing, what happens when two companies merge and suddenly share the same Slack. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's. Let's move on to the to the season preview. This is a, an interesting division for this. Uh, we'll start with Prada on the on the first question, which is just I like to use regular season record, but if you want to use another criteria, just say what it is and use it. Ranking these five teams one to five. Uh, the five teams is in, I'm most excited to watch in this division. I think Miami's probably number one. Atlanta's number two, uh, and then the other three teams. Well, let's put Orlando number three, and the other teams are sort of tied for seventeenth. Um, that's probably not you were, what you were looking for, right? It isn't, anyway. but it's fine. I mean, we can we can we'll, we'll, we'll uh, work through it. So uh, I would say I think Miami's probably the best team, and Orlando's number two, and I think I think Atlanta might be a little closer to the other two than I think the consensus would suggest. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington. I'm Charlotte over I, Washington as well. Some of it is yeah. the structural stuff. Some of it is that it's more likely that Washington trades their best player than Charlotte does. I don't even really know who Charlotte's best player is. So that's a reason to go the other way. But So they're going to hold on to Marvin Williams is what you're saying? Yeah, it's, a Mar- <laughs> it's, it's, it's Marvin time. But yeah, that's going to be such a weird team. And Washington has all these young... I, I think Washington has better tanking tools than the, than the Hornets do just because they have all these young guys and they're also going to be terrible defensively. So those those really pull to pull the same way, and Miami over Orlando is an interesting question because I they're you know if Orlando's defense is for real I think it's a closer question than some think I also don't think the the Heat got as much better as some feel but I believe that Orlando punched over their weight last year and Miami punched under their weight so if we were to equalize on that and then adjust based on it I think Miami's the better team. They basically were the same level of team last year, were they not? Yeah, so last year, using cleaning, uh, using cleaning glasses filters, Orlando was a pl- basically a plus one team, and Miami was even. So it's a little bit different, but right. they end, that they, they you know, but they ended up three games different, which is more than you would expect. Actually, that's almost exactly what you expect with their point differential. But I mean, Miami had a bunch of guys that were hurt. Orlando didn't. So 
I mean, oh, that was something else I wanted to mention with Orlando is another reason to think they might be worse is that so many of their best players played a lot. You know, Gordon Fournier, Vooch, Augustine, Ross, Isaac all played 75 or more. Most of those guys played 80 plus games. So if they have, you know, even a few games missed, that's going to be more than last year. Yeah, and my Orlando didn't add Jimmy Butler. So I think that's like a huge factor. I mean, I know it sounds really banal and stupid and simple, but I think that's a huge thing. I mean, we haven't really seen Jimmy Butler on his own team in a while. I don't even think I don't think Chicago was always really his team. And I think that was probably why he was more agitated than ever. Is that you know even though he was clearly the best player, it really wasn't his team. And then he's had to play with high usage big men in Towns and Embiid and the mess in Philly. I think it. I think he has the capability of carrying Miami a little further than their talent suggests. In the regular season, you know, just by sheer force of personality, you know, he does do a lot of things really well. And I don't think he's like a great person to fit in with another star, but that's not Miami's problem. So I, I think I think that point is understated how much better Jimmy Butler will make the heat. Adding good basketball players to a basketball team tends to make the basketball team better. At I, mean, basketball. Put it, I mean, great. When you put it that way. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> Really, like, neutering my, my point here. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's, it's it is, a simple it, it point, is very it's obvious. an accurate one. Yeah. It is very obvious, but I think it does need to be said, too. I mean, these are two teams that were basically in the same place last year. Marlene a little better, and one added a top 20 player, and the other did not. Yeah, that's true. And has more, you know, I, I think there's, it's a lot easier to argue that Orlando's guys are a little bit worse than they played last year and Miami could be a lot better. So yeah, I, I think that all goes in that direction, but it, it could end up being close again. I mean, I, I still think something in magic and that ties in with the next question, which is how many teams in this division do you guys think make the playoffs? I got two. I, I, I have Orlando as, as my eight seed. I'm, I'm not extremely confident in that, but I mean, I, Detroit could, could do it. I guess if like everything goes right in Chicago, Chicago could do it. Uh, but the e- the bottom of the East is just like so so painful to look at that. I I just threw Orlando in there because I think I think they'll defend at a at a respectable level, and I have a lot of respect for Steve Clifford and him. He's a very his teams just tend to consistently outplay their talent level during the regular season. I mean, that's just a, that's a Steve Clifford staple and they always defend and they play hard and there's defensive talent on that team. So I think they'll probably defend. Well, you know, we were, we were kind of knocking them earlier for just kind of having a lot of redundant players, but you know what? Depth helps during the 82 game season. And it's, it's nice if your sixth big man is like actually a capable NBA player who can play. It's, it's not a, phenomenal allocation of resources but when you've got like 11 nba players on your team or whatever they have that can get you a a couple extra win or two so i I don't think they're going to be i mean i think they'll probably be around the same level i shouldn't even say probably but if i had to guess i would say they'd be around the same level they were last year because i think their defense uh has 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 a chance to to hold them up and you know the eight seed could could be 40 wins this year. could be 39 wins this year. But if, if I had to pick one team to get the eight, it would be them. I have only one team from this division. I think Miami switching, swapping for Orlando will be the only change in the playoff picture. I think Detroit is better than Orlando this year. So I only have one team. I, I'm, Although I'm, I am I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous about Indiana, but I think I'm going to keep them in for now. 
I'm really torn between one and two. I, I'm going to lean towards one for a basic reason that both of these teams are an injury. Like both of the two are an injury away from missing playoffs entirely. And n- unless the Hawks are better than I anticipate, like I think the Hawks are going to be more in the low to mid thirties than in the top. None of the potential teams, you know, like the Chicago's or Detroit's, are in their division. So if the, if one of them falls out, they're not going to be replaced by another one. That happens sometimes. Like I think the Northwest Division had that a couple of years ago. You know, those sorts of circumstances do happen. And both these teams are pretty precarious. You know, like a, a, a poorly timed injury. I, I do think that Orlando's redundancies could be useful in that respect. But Augustine, there's there's nothing there. Fournier, there's nothing really there. So I think that could be, you know, if one of those guys misses 15 games, that becomes a big, big problem for them. And Miami's deep, but they're not necessarily deep in terms of playmakers. So if Dragic just doesn't get quite back, if Butler misses some time, which it feels like he does all the time, that could be a problem. But yeah, it could easily be two. It can't be less than one, so it, it could be one. And it would be very surprising if it were three, because that would require both these teams staying healthy and doing well. And then the Hawks, because I doubt it's the Hornets or the, the Wizards coming in, could do that. So we can move on to the last question of this is is breakout players. I do not mean new stars. That's too hard of a thing to predict and it happens too rarely. So really it's just players that you think we will be talking about differently a year from now than we are at this moment. Vince Carter. <laughs> was that a bad guess? Oh was that God. a bad guess? If I can't that, that if I can't funny. say Vince Carter, can I that say I say Adonis Haslam if I can't say Vince Carter. Oh my God! Um, I, I love Danny that, I like love... sets up with this very serious question, and Fred just does. Well, that. Here, here's my favorite thing about that: <laughs> you could make an argument that, like a lot of us would have said before last season, who are the two most likely players to retire after this year? And it probably, it very well could have been Vince Carter and Adonis Haslam. And then both of those guys are still in the NBA and they're still in this division. It's kind of great. <laughs> And they're on the verge of having breakout seasons. Yes, uh, according, according, uh, to, Fred, according to Fred Katz of the Athletic, that's I'll, true. I'll say, I'll say Jonathan Isaac. I love John Isaac. I like him a lot. He's, it just feels like this is the year, right? He, he, he got better in year two than he did in year three. He's going to defend on. He's going to defend. He's going to be able to score. I, it just it feels like this is the year for him to break out and – they have to give him the opportunity. Like, I don't care about that roster. They just have to find a way. I don't care about what the deal is with Bamba. I don't care about fit. They have to figure out an opportunity for him and make it consistent because he is really, really talented and he could be really good. Yeah, I'd feel a lot better about him breaking out if they hadn't signed uh, Aminu. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a good pick. I would probably have gone with Adebayo or Winslow. Uh, as my selection, um, I would keep an eye as well on John Collins to the point that we discussed. And, I mean, if you're talking basically just who are we going to talk about differently than we talk about right now, I think Markel Fultz has got to be number one on that list just because we're going to be talking about him differently than we talk about him right now. That's for damn sure, one way or the other. Yeah, and, and considering how negatively we're talking about Fultz right now just because of the skepticism with where, where it goes, it could end up being positive. Even if he's like a solid backup point guard, A, that would be huge for the Magic, and B, that would be important for his career. I was shocked that they picked up his option as early as they did. That it, its own kettle of fish. I don't really want to get into that too much. 
One that you guys haven't mentioned, and it might just be because just it wouldn't be a surprise, is Kevin Herter. I like Herter a lot offensively. I think he's going to get plenty of opportunities with the Hawks to to put up to put up points. Capable shooter, shot 39% from three last year. If he gets a little bit more volume, which I expect, that could work out really nicely for the Hawks. They're, they're going to need guys to step up. I think he could be a part of that. I'll echo the okay, John Collins possibility. I mean, I, I think with Collins and Isaac, this is the year where the rubber damn well better meet the road because they just need to figure out what they have. And with Isaac, it's not as much on the offensive end. I've talked about how every single time he takes a jump shot, I don't think it's going in just because the way his shot's a little bit weird. They do go in, obviously, more than that. But Isaac, I think he's really well suited to the the kind of the more a little bit older era of power forward where he can be, you know, like kind of this hybrid thing, maybe a little bit like Millsap, where he can be a help weak side defender, be a good guy there and still defend his guy. Fred talked about this a little bit in terms of DeAndre Hunter. But I can't shake the feeling that Isaac could also be really successful as a five defensively. And yes, Vooch was was an amazing player last year for them and everything else. But if Isaac can solve that problem, maybe you move eventually, you move Vooch or you do something different there and open it opens things up a little bit differently just from a team building perspective. Because if you can play Isaac at the five and let's say Aaron Gordon at the four or the three, however you're going to do that, it, you could, it could be some really interesting stuff, even if it's just keeping Vooch on the team and trying out different lineups. Yeah, it would be really interesting. It's just unfortunately they gave Vucevic ninety million and Alfa Rukamino forty. What did they give him? Thirty-seven million. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just skeptical that they're going to get the most out of him. That's all. But I agree, he's he's quite a talent. Well, thankfully, the Aminu part, it's it's 27, or it's actually it's 27, so it's not as, but it is, but it is a, a player option for 10 million on the last year of that, so that could end up being, you know, the, the rule with player options is you assume they're going to choose, they're going to choose it correctly, so if he's not worth 10 million, he'll just pick it up. Yeah, I mean, Isaac is really talented, I just, I'm also a little worried that, to your point as well, like, his game will sort of resemble what... Steve Clifford sees as sort of a platonic ideal of that type of player rather than him getting a real opportunity to like expand it. And that's always a tricky thing in player development. Like, do you, do you want someone to have the chances to fail and, and learn upward or do you want to channel them into certain skills that they can get really good at? Um, it's a tough thing. I think one other element I want to mention is and I, I don't really know if this counts in breakout. I know Fred mentioned him as a possibility. Is Bam Adebayo becoming the starter in Miami? I don't know that he's necessarily, other than having a greater opportunity, going to define my expectations and be talking about him differently. But what I'm really excited about is I think Miami is going to be so much more watchable this year. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, but I thought it was a good kind of point to, to end this on a little bit that. Having a healthy Dragic, having Jimmy Butler on the team, all these other defensive players, and you know we'll see what they do with the bench. Maybe Justice Winslow and Dion Waiters run the show a little bit there. Maybe Tyler Hero plays a little bit there. I, I just think I'm going to enjoy watching Miami a lot more this year. And as a selfish league pass watcher, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, I think I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. I I loved watching Winslow last year. His development has been really really fun to watch, and I enjoy watching him defend. There there's like. There's some there's some defensive potential there, but some lineups they could they could throw out. And I'm with you on Dragic. If if he is healthy and he's feeling good, he's so fluid. Uh, he can be a really really effective guy inside the three point line. He'll be he'll be able to I think work well with a lot of their their stretchy bigs. Like that's a that's a solid 
team. And I think Spo is one of the best coaches in the league and uh and and will will do the talent on that roster right. I also think and Dwayne Wade is a legend and deserved what he had, but I think it will be nice to have that sort of anvil removed from the situation for all involved. Um because I think I think it will allow other people to thrive a little bit more and it will allow, I think a little more room for experimentation and that's no slight on Wade, but I just think that's a tricky situation when he's clearly in the last year of his career. And that's just a thing that looms over the rotation and looms over the play style and looms over the season. So I think that will be beneficial both from an entertainment perspective, but also even from a developmental perspective. Yeah. That's a really good point. Anything else you guys feel like we should that should be mentioned we should talk about with this division? Uh, hey, uh, Fred, what's uh, the Justin Robinson update? Oh. <laughs> that's that's my breakout player. Yeah, Justin I Robinson. Wait. It was too obvious a pick, right? It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured. Well, he's not really a breakout. Are you breakout if you're already a star? You know. Yeah. Right. 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 Yes. Yeah. Got a got a real chance to make the roster. In in Washington, which I should clarify, because I imagine the average listener doesn't know what team he's on. Yeah, in case you don't listen to Nate to to dunk on is we had a very spirited discussion about this when Fred was like, "Oh, can I throw out a guy who's gonna who might be in the rotation that nobody is talking about?" And it was Justin Robinson. <laughs> he might. They don't have a point guard. Isaiah Thomas is hurt. Troy Brown is hurt, and John Wall is hurt, and Ish Smith is the only guy who has played point guard in the NBA on their roster right now who could potentially be in the rotation. I'm not counting Isaac Bonga because I don't think there's any way he'll be in the rotation. And the undrafted Justin Robinson could have to be their backup. I, re- I really baited you, didn't I? Damn, that worked. Yes, you did. They still have Chrissy Tolliver. Her, her knee's getting better. <laughs> there you go. She's good. Sign her. It could work. She just had a career high in assists. Probably better she's than right Justin Robinson. I'm not going to lie. And she's already on staff. I don't know. This seems really easy. I guess it might be tough, though, with them in the finals like to get her playing reps. Yeah, she's not even going to be there coaching until their season's done. That's yeah. true. That might be. that. That's the real challenge. How do you get her up to speed with the system in training camp? <laughs> well, I, I don't think there's any better way to end this. So thank you guys so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks again to Mike and Fred for taking the time to come on. You can read Mike Prada at SB Nation. You can follow him at Mike Prada SBN, M-I-K-E-P-R-A-D-A-S-B-N. And you can read Fred Katz at The Athletic. You can listen to Wizards After Dark, his podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Loved having both of them on. It is true, as as Mike brought up in the very beginning, that this division has gotten more interesting in the time that we've been doing the Division Capsule podcast, which I think is three or four years now. And especially with the Hawks on the rise, I still think they're about a year away, but getting there, that's made it more exciting. And Jimmy Butler being in Division, the Magic getting better. All those things are exciting. Not exactly sure. have a couple ideas of what next week's episode will be. It might be a Division Capsule, might not be. just depends on availability and everything like that. have a couple other irons in the fire as well, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. If you want to support the show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast wherever you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. It's actually really awesome if you use something else to leave a review both places. You can do that. Spread the word however you see fit. Social media, in person, single episode, or the whole thing. Really do appreciate that. And downloading every episode, subscribing 
especially good for a show like this that doesn't come out at a specific day of the week. Subscribing is the best way to make sure that it pops in your player. It's really big for our business. And then, of course, the most important thing for this show and any other one that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. And you can check out the hashtag Sportsnet Challenge. Hopefully, I'm still doing well whenever you listen to this, but I am right now, so I'm pretty happy with that. You can also check out my written work. I have some stuff at The Athletic, and I will have more in the near future. I have a really kind of large amount of pieces in process at, in various different stages. I'm working on some 2020 offseason preview stuff, working on some 2019-20 season preview stuff, and then some other catch-up type things, like I'm writing on the Nene contract boondoggle right now, and a few other few other stories, just kind of trying to get everything, all my ducks in a row before the season starts, which is always fun. And you can listen to me uh, on Dunked On. Nate and I are actually going to do our over-unders pretty soon. I don't know exactly when, but probably in the next week we'll do the West and East, the separate podcasts. And we disagree and we keep track of it. So those those are always really fun to do. If you have any feedback on this show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I don't promise I'll respond, but I do promise that I'll read it because I don't want you wasting your time. So that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.